Our Old Testament reading this morning is the 123rd Psalm. It is one of a number of songs of ascents where the Israelites sung as they ascended the Temple Mount to worship. And this psalm is in the form of a lament. If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the living God as we hear his word. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. And our New Testament reading is from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, I must go on boasting. Though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. Imagine yourself on a job interview and you're asked, what value do you think you will add to this organization? And you reply, well, I don't know much about what it is that you do here or, or what product you're making. I don't have the education this job requires. I don't have much strength. In fact, I'm pretty much a weakling. I failed at other things too. I've let other people down 
by not giving them what they expect. I let myself down a lot. I tend to invite insults and calamities usually follow me. Other people tell me I'm not much to look at either. However, I believe your boss will give me everything I need to do what he wants done. And to all of this, the interviewer says, you're just the person we're looking for. In fact, that's exactly why we called you. Everything you need to do the job the boss has supplied. You say, Pastor, what kind of alternate universe are you living in? That sounds like the twilight zone. That isn't real. Yeah, it, that would be an odd interview for a job. Because job interviews, you're taught to look your best, to present your best, to talk about your accomplishments and to show your knowledge of the company and, and its mission. Now they'll ask you about your weaknesses, but that's only because they want to get at your self-awareness. Put your best foot forward. That will make for a good interview. Now that scenario that I painted wouldn't work if you're looking for a job in today's culture, but that is exactly how the kingdom of God works. That's what our text here is telling us too, is teaching us is when Paul draws this conclusion, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's telling us that the kingdom of God is not like the world. The person of the world would like to boast of, of their, or, or glory in their abilities and their accomplishments. And the world tells you, you need to do you. You do you, I'll do me. Express yourself is the mantra constantly chiming in our hearing. Robert Bella, in his book, Habits of the Heart, calls this expressive individualism, and he describes it this way. Individualism, the first language in which Americans tend to think about their lives, values independence and self-reliance above all else. These qualities are expected to win the rewards of success in a competitive society, but they are also valued as virtues good in themselves. American individualism then demands personal effort and stimulates great energy to achieve, yet it provides little encouragement for nurturance, taking a sink or swim approach to moral development as well as to economic success. It admires toughness and strength and fears softness and weakness. It adulates winners while showing contempt for losers, a contempt that can descend with crushing weight on those considered either by others or by themselves to be moral or social failures. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you hear that? He's saying individualism. Individualism is the first language in which Americans tend to think about their lives and that weakness in this is contemptible. But yet here, here we find the, the Apostle Paul talking about that. The message of self-glorification, yeah, in, in, in our culture, it, it's, it is. It's in the air. It's in the songs we sing. It's in the movies we watch. It's in kids. It's in little kids' videos. It's a virus. 
and Christians are not immune to it. And we've learned a lot about viruses during this pandemic, haven't we? However, this virus of expressive individualism is more deadly than COVID-19. It can make you conceited. It'll cause you to make desperate grasps for power. It can make you a glory hound seeking what should only belong to Christ. And albeit, in a world of boasting about one's own abilities and strengths and in a culture of, of expressive individualism, why is the believer, here in the text, encouraged to boast all the more gladly in their weaknesses? And how does, how does the Christian inoculate him or herself against this cultural virus of individualism? So from our text, we can see here that, boast, that the boasting the more gladly in one's weaknesses requires that we must first be caught up to paradise, then be convinced of the sufficiency of grace while learning to be contented for Christ's sake. Let's look at this. Caught up to paradise. Look at verse, verse 2 and 4 of, of 2 Corinthians 12. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. It's just a background to what, what Paul is talking about as, as he hits on, on, on this, this, this boasting. In chapter 11, he talks about boasting or, or glorying in response to these super apostles, that's the way Paul dubbed them, and that's the way they came across. These super apostles who, who made a boast about their mission being on, on the same terms as Paul's. To which Paul replies with his foolish boasting. to set before, And he does this to set this before the Corinthians, the authenticity of his apostleship. So he, was, he uses this, this, it was a popular rhetorical tool this, this back and forth of, of, if they are, so am I. And we see it in 2 Corinthians 11, 22 and 23, where Paul says, but whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. See, Paul uses this, this way of, of making the point, this, this, this way of arguing. It was a rebuke for them being, in, being unchaste in their devotion to Christ. It's back in, in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 11, Paul writes, I feel divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So to answer the super apostles and to recover their purity to Christ, Paul becomes a fool. 
glorying about his experiences of revelations and visions. He was caught up, he said, up to paradise in a vision. And it was known, it was known in their their day that some, in order to have a vision, would they would fast for long periods of time or or deprive themselves of sleep in in order to to reach this state, to induce this state of, of, of an ecstatic experience. But that's not the case with Paul. He was caught up, and the word means to be snatched, to be taken. These so these weren't self-induced visions. In Paul, in in Acts 22, he testifies of seeing the Lord on the road to Damascus. And then again, he would say, later on, he would say, when he was in Jerusalem, verse 17 of, of Acts 22, I fell into a trance and saw him, Jesus, saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. See, these revelations and, and visions were given to Paul because of the message of Christ that he was given. This being taken up into heaven, hearing things that, that's, that, that is, it was not right for a person to utter. They were experiences of, of God's presence. You know, Paul didn't have the Bible. He didn't have the scripture like we have. You know, he had the Old Testament, but he didn't have, he didn't have this completed body of, of, of scripture that's, that's God's word. So... But so why would he have this experience? Well, John Calvin gives a good answer to this. He says this thing happened for Paul's own sake, for a man who had awaiting him troubles hard enough to break a thousand hearts needed to be strengthened in a special way to keep him from giving way and to help him to persevere undaunted. But what does that mean for for us? Well, Because the Lord was at work in the Apostle Paul, the Lord caught Paul up. He he caught us up too. Because it's the Apostle Paul who would pin these very words by the power of the Holy Spirit. He would pin these very words about, about the new birth and about what happens when we come to faith in Christ. And he writes this, that how we're taken up to the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 1, 3, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places. We're caught up. Our lives are caught up and, and hidden in Christ, Colossians 3.1, where the Spirit of God, speaking through the Apostle Paul, would say, write this, would say this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, you've been caught up. You've been caught up to the right hand of the Father through Christ. Paradise awaits your arrival. Paul had an ecstatic experience in which he was caught up, but you and I have God's word that we can read how he snatched us up from this present evil world. We can read it at any time. So being caught up to paradise is nothing more than God giving us the assurance and hope of a future that is secure and unshakable so that we might walk 
with the immunity of grace into a world infected by expresses individualists seeking to save themselves. I want to say that again, but it feels like a tongue twister. You know, the vi this virus, the virus of expressive individu individualism, it's pandemic. And, we have, and we, have the, we have the cure in the message of the gospel of Christ. But the infected individuals are hostile towards the inoculated. So, so to persevere, we need to be convinced of the sufficiency of grace. Look at verses 5 through 9 of, of 2 Corinthians 12. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears of me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, in combating the virus of, of expressive individualism, why do you need to be convinced? Why do you need to be convinced of the sufficiency of grace? Well, this text gives us three reasons why. One is of, because of conceit. That's conceit. Exalting oneself, self-glorification. Self it's what you tell yourself in the mirror, whether it's good or, or bad. Or it's believing your press. And so many in the, in the name of religion, are, they're given to promoting themselves. The, the, the late night television, you know, if you can't sleep in the morning and you turn the TV on and you see, what, what do you see? Boy, you see all kind of rags being sold or waters being sold that's been prayed over or some cloth. You know, all kind of, all kind of infomercials abound with self-glorifying individuals. The old country preacher Vance Havner would say, man is the only creature you can pat on the head and you pat on the back and his head swells. The Apostle Paul here is saying, it says in verse 6, he refrains from boastings so that no one may think more of him than he sees in him or hears from him. So he holds back his experiences so that, so that others won't, weren't tempted to glory in him. The super apostles that Paul was seeking to displace in the minds of the Corinthian believers were good at bragging on themselves or, or encouraging others to brag on them. But Paul says, I will not listen to my own press. The good people have sometimes great temptations to conceit. In a culture of expressive individualism, conceit is evidence that a fever is present. Conceit is the, is the fever of, of self-exaltation. So how are you, how are you or aware of your own conceit? Who checks your temperature? For Paul, the Lord gave him, here's the second thing, a thorny gift. The, uh, the messenger of Satan to harass him. And that word means to slap in the face. You know, who likes to get slapped in the face? You know, that's really personal, isn't it? You know, the thorn in the flesh was it was a pain, it was painful with purpose. 
Now, it doesn't sound like good news, but this, this is good news. Because before Paul, this messenger of Satan kept him from a greater sin of self-glorification. See, it's good news that God doesn't waste our pain. Hallelujah. And Satan is not in control. See, Satan and the evil he does serves God's purposes. See, God is, is not, the, he's not the author of evil. He, he's incapable of, of doing anything that's, that's morally tainted. But his sovereignty and his power is such that he can make evil serve his purposes. And here, the messenger of Satan harasses Paul, slaps Paul in the face, but it reveals a greater truth, doesn't it, about the sufficiency of Christ's grace. That even though the thorn is sharp, grace is working powerfully in the weakness. Which this, and this thorn reveals the third thing, the presence of Christ's power. What a revelation. Christ's power. The, the, this position of weakness is where Christ's power is most perfected. The answer, the answer to Paul's prayer was more than he had hoped for. He had wanted deliverance from the pain, but instead he got Christ's power. Which will you want? You see, what does, what does the burden matter if the strength to bear it is greater than the weight? See, the image is that of, of Christ. And it's a beautiful picture that Paul's painting here. The image of Christ coming and resting on the apostle. Because that word for rest is the same word that's used in John 1, 14, where, 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 where John says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the, one, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. It's the same word in Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. What a picture. It's the picture of God coming down and resting upon us in our weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, so Paul, his, re, his response, it's exuberant. Therefore... I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Isn't that good news this morning? That our weakness doesn't repel but attracts God's power? See, right now, it's a great video that Scott sent us. Right now, we, we, we are weak as we await for, for Scott and Megan Dillon to receive from USCIS the visas for their adopted children. We're like the psalmist in Psalm 123, praying, To you we lift up our eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. That's a good prayer to pray as we wait for the Lord to move and, and bring these, these, these documents to Scott and Megan. See, our, weakness, our weaknesses is where the Lord... And his power dwells. See, we're not losing out in the waiting, but we expect the power of Christ to be completed in us. So the question remains, the question remains, what, the, what question remains is, is that about the posture of our hearts as we struggle against the virus of expressive individualism. 
Are you contented with the grace of God? Is the grace of God enough? Are you contented for Christ's sake? Look at verse 10 of of chapter 12. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So when you compile the things that Christ's grace has given us, was as we see now, as we're seeing, grace is more than just the forgiveness of our sins, which that, that is, oh, what a relief. Yeah, grace, grace is more than the forgiveness, but it's enabling grace. It's empowering grace. So being caught up and, and blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, with our lives being taken up and hidden with Christ in God, being convinced of the sufficiency of Christ's grace, humbling us and and restraining our conceit, knowing that the sovereign Christ uses the evil that is around us to bring about his purposes and perfecting his power in our weakness. Are you contented with the things God has handed you to bear for Christ's sake? See, Paul says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because of Christ, Paul, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of generalities, but they're, but they're loaded words. I will, he's like, for the, for the sake of Christ, because of Christ, I will be weak or sick, disabled. I will take insults for the sake of Christ. I will face hardships, homelessness, poverty, persecution, calamities. All are born for Christ. I will bear all of this because of Christ, for the sake of Christ. Have you thought about your care for your special needs child as something you bear for Christ's sake. Your care for your aging parent or spouse and their disability, that you bear with them for Christ's sake. The battle, the battle with dementia or, or cancer, that it's something you are bearing for Christ's sake. The grief you bear over the loss of a loved one. Did you ever consider that it is something you bear for Christ's sake? See, that'll change the way you respond, doesn't it? See, Christ's grace is sufficient for you, enabling you to be content with the things the Lord has given you to bear for his sake. Christ redeems our suffering. Hallelujah. One writer put it this way, because Christ has already proven his unchanging love for us, our circumstances should never cause us to suspect his goodness. The gospel allows us to receive God's grace as an unmerited gift and to understand our circumstances as opportunities for him to be proven all-sufficient and all-powerful. When we are weak, we are strong. Yeah, you see, you know, this theme is all through scripture. 
It is all through that this, this matter of, of being weak, and this is where God's power rests. It's the story of Abraham and Sarah with his, when, when the, in the deadness of their womb, of her womb, God gives them a son. It's Joseph's story of being taken out of the pit. He's away from his family. He's taken out of the pit and he's placed in the palace. And he says, God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. It's David's story. Not even worth going out to find. You know, hey, here, here are all my sons. You know, here, take a look at them, Samuel. Surely it's this one. No, no. Well, it, do you have any others? Oh, yeah, there's that little skinny kid out back. You know, go get Well, well go get him. Yeah, yeah, it's da- that's David's story, and he not worth not worth being talked to, not even worth being looked at. But he becomes the nation's champion. It's Jesus's story, as he's left to die on the crosses. Now Isaiah says he's numbered among the transgressors. But Paul would write this in Second Corinthians thirteen four: He was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. See, it's all through the scripture. So, you got to compare. You have to compare. We have to compare the power of the grace of Christ to the impotency of expressive individualism. Because expressive individualism leads to isolationism. Robert Bella, again, he writes this. He says, Yet many of us have felt in times both of prosperity and of adversity that there is something missing in the individualist set of values, that individualism alone does not allow low persons to understand certain basic realities of their lives, especially their interdependence with others. These realities become more salient as individual effort alone proves inadequate to meet the demands of living. Yeah. It's inadequate. It can't, it can't give you the power to live. And this cultural virus, it's hard to escape. But here's the question for us as, as Christians. Are you vaccinated? That's the question. Because you, you may already be sick with the virus of expressive individualism. It's in the air. But taking in the grace of God, it's, it's the vaccine against it. Now, you might say, and and I would encourage you not to say it, but you might say, I don't like the vaccine because of the way it's made. Someone was murdered to make it. And I don't like to think about someone else dying to save me. I'm responsible for saving me. You You can reject some other vaccines, but you can't reject this one. You must take this vaccine. This is Christ's flesh and it's Christ's blood. It was given for you. There is no other cure. How else will you crush your conceit? Where else will you find the power that will deliver you from death and bring you up to paradise? From whom will you receive glory or, or to whom will you give glory? See, don't let expressive individualism keep you from taking in the grace that God has supplied. It is sufficient against this virus and all of its variants. See, the weakness of Christ, the weakness of Christ's death is the power for your living today and forever. The Lord, our boss, has ordained everything we need for this job of being made in his image. Let's pray. 
O Lord, indeed, whatever you have ordained is right. Be glorified and by enabling us, Lord, to, to boast of our weaknesses that we may have your power resting upon us for the glory of your name. Oh, Lord, be pleased to do this as we look to you. It's like the psalmist said, we have had enough of contempt from those who hate you. Be our help and enable us to praise you gladly. In Jesus' name, amen.